0: Uh Manish any suggestions you have ya yeah, kuch humein aise galat sawal nahi puchne to bata do nahi to hum kuch bhi puchte
1: hain interview ke sawal chhod ke baaki kuch bhi mood makes
0: fine
2: Hey hi Manish show uh, welcome uh, to our show uh, Manish uh, what do you do
1: Hi Krishna hi I'm glad to be here so I am currently uh, working as product lead in Vedantu uh, right now and yeah so I have been in the product uh, business for about Uh, six and a half years now, uh, yeah. And first six years, I was doing something completely different construction project management, and last six years, have been in product management the core product management business.
2: And uh, how is all this lockdown uh, treating you, and especially in the online Edu business? How is it? uh, Yeah, it's, it's
1: a little weird, actually. I mean, both from a from a business uh, standpoint, is really great because this is really helping um, all the. Uh, I mean, this has been probably the biggest accelerant that's happened in, in education in edtech uh, because a lot of the parents who were not earlier uh, seeing the value of online edtech because the schools have also transitioned towards being online. Like parents have started seeing that on teaching can happen online and there is value in it, and uh, hence there is a there is enough uh, sort of tailwinds that we are seeing at least in the online edtech space. Personally for me uh, in the product side, it's very weird, not being a part of a. I I mean, being onboarded to a part of a team, which is completely virtual and most of the meetings and everything that I'm mean, a part of it, it seems, feels pretty transactional, right? You know, you just meet up for meetings and there is no break as such. So that, that part is uh, yeah, it takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, because at least in my previous org, uh, uh, before the lockdown, we were a pretty, pretty close knit team. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So when we moved towards online, it wasn't like uh, a, a big difference. We could still, because we knew the, uh, let's say the idiosyncrasies of everyone, it was still fine. But in Vedantu, it was yeah, it was pretty different. Um, getting used to only talking to people during meetings. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, how were you handling the brainstorming?
1: It's actually, uh, I mean, uh, initially what I did was for a month or so, uh, I actually went to office. And uh, me and my boss, Krishna, also, uh, incidentally, his name is also Krishna. He also uh, joined uh, in office, and uh, the founders were also there. So, the initial one month or so was pretty good because at least I could meet people in person and we would brainstorm a lot. After that, it's been, uh, I would say, um, like it's pretty transactional. The brainstorming doesn't happen effectively on Zoom that much, I've realized, or, or Google Meet that um, the thing that we would sort out in probably one, two and a half or hour, three hours sitting would now take at least two or three sessions, right? (laughs) Of going back and forth, uh, trying to figure out what's the right representation. There is no jamming on each other's ideas that happen. Uh, Whereas in right now, what happens is that um, I'll cook up something and then Krishna will look at it. He'll suggest something. Then I'll go back, build something else and come back. And it's a lot of back and forth, I would say, uh, as compared to, let's say, we would sit in one room and close things, which would have been far easier.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of... uh... Uh, cues that you can take uh, you know from the body language and it uh, generally communication is a much more uh, easier when you know when, when you're like uh, face-to-face uh, discussing things designs and etc
1: yeah absolutely I mean also I think uh, you can because you're in the same room like uh, it happens quite quickly and also like you can for example having a whiteboard Uh, actually and doing sort of brainstorming on that is far more effective than whatever whiteboarding tools you can use. It's not the same. It doesn't... uh, We have tried that and I've tried that. I've tried Miro. I've tried everything. (laughs) It doesn't uh, really... Is, it doesn't have the same feel as what you would do in just a simple whiteboard marker and two people or three people sitting
2: around. I mean, you know, you just sit in a cabin and you completely whiteboard, you sit and you keep looking at it. The, the, the solutioning comes automatically, whereas uh, when you have everything on the screen, it is quite uh, difficult to grapple the whole, uh, the whole yep. flow.
1: Yeah, I, to me, it feels pretty transactional uh, a lot, right? In, in the sense that you don't get a feel of... Uh, where you're heading. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, ideas that are bounced off of each other during a monologue or a dialogue and it happens, but like seeing the whiteboard people being there standing, discussing face to face that part, I've realized we've tried this because last three months or so, we've been trying to define a strategy a lot, right? Like trying to clearly define what are we trying to do? What's the problem that we're trying to solve? How are we going to be different? And that requires for a lot of brainstorming sessions, right? And it's, uh, <laughs> It is quite painful, so
0: yeah. And I think physically, you can force people uh, to be in that room, saying ki aaj kaam khatam karke nahi, nahi denge kar. But digitally, they can just <laughs> click a button and say okay, <laughs> I am logging off. <laughs> ah, I mean, uh, I
1: don't know how other people. I don't, I don't know how you guys are managing it, but it's uh, like I have not come across a, a like it is a better way of doing this exercises uh, or at least a brainstorming part on Zoom or virtually. At least I have not been yeah. able to do
0: it. Absolutely. I, I think yesterday I was attending a session and a similar question came up. And I think overall, uh, brainstorming and onboarding of new people who are joining the team, it has become, and, and especially for product managers, it's actually yes. very difficult to build that rapport with your designers, engineers. And that's a very key part of uh, a PM's job, right? So I think someone suggested that uh, they have started doing catch ups post work times and not do any uh, work talks. So I think that's sort of helping helping them out where they're playing games or trying to build a rapport with those people. So I think that's something which uh, people are trying, but I don't think so. Anyone has an answer as of now to the
1: question. Uh, we've also tried this. Like, two things that we have tried is uh, starting off any meeting with having some informal chit chat because I've, I've usually seen that people don't join if it's a 10 o'clock meeting. People, most people would join by 10 5 or 10 7, right? So, if you utilize the first five to seven minutes of uh, doing some kind of informal chit chat, getting to know each other, it sort of breaks the thing. And this I've been doing, and I've seen that it's very effective even in stand ups. Like, people, even if you take this five minutes to have something, some informal discussion it creates a better uh, bond between uh, the team we tried the informal sessions also but still yeah it's, it's not
2: the same so what are the challenges that you're seeing in in the current educational domain with uh, covid coming in of course that's a tailwind um, but uh, do you see any specific challenges that uh, you're facing between students and uh, teachers where product management can help
1: it's actually tough, right? So uh, I'll tell you, so at least the way I look at it, right? The 70 to 80%, this may be a very startling number, that right? I think that 70, 80% of the students don't want to study, right? Like fundamentally education has been thrust down upon them because that's the only way in which um, there is social acceptance at some levels, right? So at its core, people don't want to study. And uh, the only things that we've seen are effective is basically uh, some form of entertainment, or, uh, let, let's say it's sort of a gaming kind of a paradigm where people, you don't tell people, or you don't, you don't have to force people to do all of those things, right? Those are sort of things which students naturally gravitate towards. So I think that, uh, finally, or fundamentally, we will have to our content and pedagogy will have to evolve towards making, uh, like all the lessons and everything more interesting where technology, I think has a larger role to play, especially in the online world is really in terms of personal. And when I talk about personalization, it's not just gamification and some streaks and other things, right? It's truly understanding where the student is and finding the right challenge for the student based on the ability, like the concept of flow, right? You should give them enough challenging problems too, so that they're in the flow and keep it interesting. I think one of the feelings that I have is the teacher plays an extremely important role in this. In this journey, but if you look at most of the existing tech players, they are largely a content based content 1st kind of a product, right? So most of them have been around, you know, sort of building the best quality content or creating a buffet of the best quality content around. But I think in the long run, it will be a service delivery kind of a model where a teacher and orchestration around the teachers of everything would probably be the difference in terms of really imparting good education. I don't think you can take teachers away from the thing. And recently you will find that post COVID most other tech players have realized this and hence everybody's now started adding live and other sort of interactive layers where there is a teacher involved. Uh, versus let's say two years before COVID, nobody was doing that. Everybody was very happy with having a content first shop sure because content is actually easy. Like, uh, you can do it, you invest it. It's a pretty straightforward process. You invest in quality content and most of it doesn't change because if you look at K-12 education market, the syllabus doesn't change and hence people are okay. So, like building a content, there are many examples of content-first companies. So, even from a user experience standpoint, it's fairly straightforward to build a good content experience. But the part that's challenging is that this the teacher. The moment the teacher is in the mix, right? There are different kinds of interactions that happen, and which are not only academic per se. Like if you look at our classes, right, a lot of the questions or doubts that the, that the students have are non-academic. Also, like what should I do? What should I do in my career, all of those things, which may not be academic and where the teacher plays an extremely important role in trying to shape up the journey of a kid. And I think that creating products around it to enable this effective interaction at scale, like one teacher being able to have the same experience to let's say a thousand students in one shot, that's probably going to be a sort of the biggest challenge in terms of if education can really, or online education can only scale not by content, just by und- like making teachers effectively teach, let's say they're able to teach 100 students right now, should be mm-hmm. able to teach
0: teacher them to well. uh, t- teacher to student ratio. So effectively uh, access to good teachers is what you're going to solve for the students. Eventually that's what sort of, ah, and also,
1: problem. I think the, and it's also the entire service within the orchestration. Let's see a lot of, there are good teachers available, but firstly, you know, you should first know how to teach online. Because most of the offline teaching methods are very different. Uh the things that you do offline doesn't work online. Right. And like for exactly example, the ways
0: of engagement actually change correct? Right?
1: Ha ha, exactly. And also, like I think online sort of also gives you a lot of um advantages of trying to involve everybody and personally at adv- well. Like, for example, in some of the live classes that we've done, we use uh we run something called as uh, fastest fingers first, right? Where we post a question and basically in uh, whosoever answers first, there's like a leaderboard that comes in and so, there's some sort of recognition that happens, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things we realize or the complaints or at least the stickiness of sessions we've seen improve when we ensure that every student is recognized at least once in some form or the other, right? And and that is really sort of uh, made a difference in terms of how we are approaching um, in-class sessions, live classes, what should we do, uh, to involve and ensure that all students maintain interest during the entire course of things. And I think that it's not easy. It's just not some gamification layer or something or the other, but it's, those are things which will probably from a product problem. Those are the problems that we want to solve for. Interesting. Interesting.
2: So from Vedantu point of view, uh, could you just, uh, you know, explain uh, the overall product management uh, structure?
1: Sure. So I think Vedantu at its core basically is divided into um, from a product standpoint into four major teams. Um, and I'll just come to the staffing first in terms of how we're thinking about it. So the first um, team is basically the user growth side of things and where we look at two parts uh, distribution and the second bit is engagement and retention. So within user growth, the idea is that at the top of the funnel, if you have um, like SEO is probably one of the biggest acquisition levers that we have. Uh, as of date, we have about 25 to 30 million traffic that comes, you know, as part of the, uh, overall web properties that we have. Right. So, and con- con- I mean, continuing to invest in top of the funnel distribution is something that we are really focused on. So K-12 tech market is about 250 million students, right? Out of them, probably around 60 to hundred million would be uh, the TG that we could look at, which are currently at least, uh, somewhere on the spectrum of being online at least they have an access or they're looking at some form of online content as both either a primary or a secondary medium of um, study. So that, I mean, there's a team which basically looks at trying to do or trying to get them to our properties. Right. So distribution is definitely the first team. Then we have the engagement and um, retention team. So basically post. Uh, we have acquired the users, how do we ensure that they keep coming back and engage with our engagement properties? It could be quizzing, it could be some, we offer a lot of free master classes and live classes that we do. So free user engagement is currently um, a, a big priority for us uh, in terms of top of the funnel. So those are sort of the user growth team. Then there is a revenue growth team. So on the revenue growth side, there are broadly three uh, broad teams. So one is the um, assisted sales team. So if you look at most of the education business, uh, the dominant channel is the feet on street model or the, the sales team, uh, basically driving the thing auto is not something because given the ticket size, there's some amount of human consultation involved in people uh, making this decision. Right. So most of the, at least larger techniques, you'll find that have some form of human touch. It could be teacher led or it could be inside sales led model so there is a team which basically enables the the assisted sales team to uh, operate effectively right so it could be platform building how do we allocate leads how do we optimize for uh, conversions on leads when do we call how do we do demos and other things right so this is the assisted sales team then there is the auto sales team so while we have said that assisted sales team is what makes education current education extremely expensive the cacs because of the assisted sales team is extremely high, right? So we are also heavily investing in trying to build up the auto sales part. Also, when I mean auto sales, basically product led sales. So, uh, the journey that we are trying to do is, uh, ensure at least have one month sampling or trial as the first form of, uh, consumption and then create upsell journeys based on that completely product led, not by anything else like or extremely low human touch. So that's, I I think the second thing, and then there's within revenue growth. There's also a lot of the new channels that we're looking at. So it could be referral, B2B and other things that we will continue to expand on. Right. So this is sort of broadly user growth and revenue growth. Then there is a service delivery team, which is, uh, I call it as uh, everything post or the paid student experience. So there we have Leo, we have um, in class, we have customer experience, safety, bunch of other things which are around uh, service delivery and optimization of course so this is broadly how we structure uh, internally in terms of product and each of these teams will have different charters and their metrics associated with it uh,
2: it's interesting because uh, for a novice uh, they may just think uh, of it as in a very simplified uh, version whereas uh, when you really get into the business is when you look at uh, the intricacies of it and uh, just the way you explain the org structure right talks about uh, so much of product uh, development activities that is going on. So I think that'll be very useful for our listeners. Now, um, coming on to that, uh, Manish, are you recruiting? Yeah, yeah, we
1: are actively recruiting across the pros for, as part of the product team. A uh, bunch of different roles, uh, entry level, as well as senior PM roles that are open up and would be really happy if some of your active listeners could actually um, write back to me or the team or get in touch. Um, I think we're... There on LinkedIn, you will see multiple postings being there. So yeah, we are actively, please welcome to be a part of Vedantu. Would love to catch up if some, if some of of listeners are
0: interested. And I think it's, yeah, a, it's a good time to be in EdTech in general. I think uh, as Manish mentioned, right? Uh, there is a lot of scope, a lot of innovation that is happening. Uh, I think it's... It's that uh, time where uh, the transition is going to happen. And I think it's going to be a hybrid model where uh, most of the classes and most of the schools might actually prefer doing remote uh, things as well. Uh, Remote learning is going to be a... I think think it
2: depends.
0: I I think it depends, right? So, for for example, a very good school who might not want to actually reach out. So, it can be a uh, sort of... uh, uh, recruitment uh, of students in a way where they are trying to uh, understand and uh, uh, get new good students. So, For example, I come from a small town, right? So if I wanted to go and study in a school in Delhi, practically that would not have been possible for me. But if there was an alternate where I can actually remotely May not not be as a primary school, but as a secondary option where I get to know and I get to learn from the teachers that are teaching in a school in Delhi, I think the schools will also understand that that's a possibility. And I think that's where the tech will enable that, right? So I think overall, uh, the ecosystem is going to shift uh, again. I don't know how it is going to evolve. And it's something that no, it's, it's
1: going to see the thing is the incentives for schools are very different, right. And all it, both for school and parents. So, uh, I think parents, uh, it's been a nightmare for them. COVID has been actually a nightmare for most parents because having kids, especially working parents, having kids at home, uh, and again, like doing this is, is a, a big toll. Um, and even for schools managing a lot of their teachers are not comfortable teaching online. And we've spoken to like considerable amount of people or students who come to us and say, they're struggling to do this online thing, right? At least maintain focus in school at some levels, this happens naturally, or even if at least you're not able to trace it. So don't ask, don't tell kind of a thing happens. So the offline mode actually works effectively. The thing that will change is a lot of the post-class flows in schools will get digitized. So the thing is like assignments, discussions, all of those things, which used to happen offline with papers and other things that will definitely get digitized and some remedial sessions and other things might
0: get online, but like, I don't think it did just come back to, online. but I, I think, I think there is a, so it may be in the short term, no, but I think there is also a generation uh, difference that is going to come in and a lot of new kids. So imagine a kid who is in fifth standard right now and once they reach uh, 12th right so it would be a completely different scenario and probably the things might change and I think there is a lot of resistance it will come right so if you think of teachers who have been teaching all their life on a a, a blackboard or a whiteboard and saying okay now you've completely shift to a new ecosystem and a, a different way of teaching that sort of becomes difficult. I think human nature in general is to resist change. But I think when new new teachers come in, new kids come in, I think overall the service delivery, as you rightly pointed out, right, the post-wala, post-class sessions are definitely going to move, but I, I think there is a possibility of uh, moving the actual classes in the future as well, but uh, yeah, I think I, I yeah know, too I hard to predict. Right yeah, an right. At least
1: the initial indications that we have, both because we talk to a lot of coaching institutes as well as schools also, because we were trying to get into that space, right? So, um, yeah, it's uh both administratively it's far easier for them to manage things offline the way that's happening, and uh, also for the parents the incentives are aligned. So yeah, like, at least I'm a. i am I think I think there
0: I think but there yeah, like, there are but but i think there are biases there right so a school would not want everything to go online because there is that there is that is a domain which they are not ex, uh, used to it and they can be overtaken or someone can just displace them very easily so i think it's sort of also that bias comes into picture as saying you no know, no offline is the future and no one can replace it i think uh, everyone who has that fear or insecurity of getting displaced will come back with that answer yeah. So
1: one, maybe one just last parting thought right here. Or, so basically if you look at what job a school does, right. In terms of it's not only delivering lectures. And if you look at all the other things that a school does, right. Most of them doesn't have, will not happen, cannot happen really well online. Like some of the, the group activities, the playful things that students do and a lot of bunch of other things, which are not, like I don't think there are enough seamless Solutions available that all of those activities can be transferred online. Which is why I think that schools will completely uh it will always exist in the offline mode. But some part of that thing which can be done much more efficiently online will definitely transition online for sure. And post-class I is, think the
0: focus, I think the focus of school will change as you rightly pointed, right? So I think you have, I think our conversations before this as well. I think you have uh, suggested that a lot of things that can be done async will move async and the focus on these activities will improve. So right now in a school, there is not not a lot of focus on extracurricular activities, right? But I think then the primary focus of schools would Change saying okay, you do the lectures, async offline. It, it's not mandatory for everyone to be in a, uh, uh, at the same place at the same time to attend that session and uh, get that uh, uh, education. But I think overall, the other things will take a front seat and say okay, now let's focus on uh, uh, personality building. Uh, how do you sort of keep your I think mental health overall, etc I think those are the things that are right now not. Uh, uh, Prime, uh, I think not the first thing that comes to mind, but I think that with the generation going in that direction, I think those will become important and the schools will move in that direction.
1: Incidentally, actually, that is what is happening. Schools are getting unbundled right now. If you look at uh, all the early learning and uh, other extracurricular courses that are being taught, the companies actually were doing only this, right? Which means that all the things that are school provided and this happening to universities also that, um, that is getting unbundled. There are a lot of companies who are specifically only solving for those things and hence. Hopefully in some time, probably in the next 10 to 20 years, there would be, we will reach a stage which the Finland and at least in in the Nordic countries have reached where there is no set curriculum. People chart their own paths and also you have a bunch of other extracurricular things which you can do on demand, right? Which currently in India, at least it will be a while.
2: In fact, I think in 2009, 10, 11, 12, around that time, there was a concept of flipped classrooms. Yeah, yeah right so uh, probably uh, all, all these would aid us uh, towards reaching the flipped classroom where you study at home and you come to school to interact and uh, learn through you know discussions
1: yeah hopefully See the fundamental problem again, there is, I right? see the problem with flip classes. People don't want to study. So the thing is, see the, 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 pro, the problem that a school tries to solve is that right, it at least ensure that you have to specifically pay attention the moment you move to a flip. And this is something that we've tried in the past. We've seen that students don't want to study. So all of these things, as which assume that students don't
0: want. Maybe they don't want to study what is being taught. So you never know. Ah, Exactly. My
1: point, exactly. My point is
0: that uh, the
1: current pedagogy and the way we teach, right? Where, and the, the kind of interactions that we do is just not suited. So, I mean, if you're interested, sometimes just check out synthesis as a school. That could be a template in terms of how schools would evolve, right? So synthesis is a school that was started by obviously Elon Musk and a bunch of other SpaceX guys, right? For them. And they are trying to put their kids, uh, it's. I know it's one-off uh, kind of a thing, but they are basically trying to teach students through live simulations. Like even ba- basically fifth grade students or sixth grade students are trying to understand if you have to run a company and you have to make decisions, they are sort of doing that at that grade level. So some of the things that we assume that kids will only be taught these things when they reach a certain age, all of those things are myths probably, which are getting debunked pretty soon. So yeah, there is exciting stuff happening all around the world, especially in this space.
2: Can you uh, tell us what are the traits that you look for uh, during an interview when a new BPM applies?
1: Yeah, Um, so I basically look at, uh, so so I break it down into two things. One is in terms of the functional side of things, uh, depending on what uh, position we are hiring um, the particular candidate for, uh, what kind of... um, skill set is required for example if i'm hiring for somebody in growth then i would try to look at you know sort of does he have a quantitative mindset is experimentation and that those kind of things are understood by nature or not uh, in terms of uh, that whereas if it's a, uh, a experience building side of uh, the product charter, then I would look at, you know, sort of what kind of consumer experience, uh, building that their student, uh, sort of the, the applicant has, or do they really have empathy or not? So in general, based on the, the role that uh, we are hiring for, I'll at least try to identify which is the skill set that is important for that role and try to assess for that in the other part is in terms of softer things. I I always look at three things that are paramount in any PM that, um, I have looked at, which is curiosity. Empathy and persuasion. So I would always assess for these three things in general, in terms of, because I think that irrespective of whatever charter you're uh, working on, these three are always required, right. In terms of how curious you are, whether you have empathy or not, and how persuasive your arguments are, or whether you can communicate articulately or not. And if those three things are not there, it will always be a challenge. Right? I mean, you may be able to survive in some platform kind of roles, but in general, if you have to grow as a PM then those three are probably the ones i test for the most.
2: And under what circumstances do generally companies are open to, uh, you know, pick up people from a non-PM background?
1: So I, I think the way we've looked at it is um like at least in two things, uh, especially people coming from the business side of things, if there is a role, for example, assisted sales in, in our case, right? It's more a, a platform product, which is largely business driven like in terms of assisted sales and other things. So I think that that's a, it's a good uh, entry point for junior PMs or, pe- or, or people who are coming from the business side of things to make a transition, uh, even program management uh, people as well, right? At least making a transition and, Having sort of a, a low risk uh, entry into product first, uh, building a platform kind of a product first, getting to understand uh, what it means to execute uh, stuff, right? So I think that that's uh, something that you looked at. And the other thing is um, wherever we have a decent amount of leadership being there, uh, but we also want to groom sort of uh, for the future, right? For uh, on experience building stuff, people who are naturally. Um, Curious and have empathy or strong empathy towards products because see product management at its core the skill set and functional things can be taught like for example agile development all the product delivery things and other things can be taught but um, having empathy for what students or what uh, like uh, problems or pain points that the customer is facing for that I think to a certain extent is inherent at least I believe that you uh, although you can sort of inculcate it but the seedings or the inclinations for that. Pain that you feel when things are not designed well is always there for people who are, uh, and which is why I've uh, most of the people who have contacted me, uh, whether should I transition into a PM or not. My first response to them is that, what? When was the last time you felt a cringe when you're experiencing a product? Right. For example, if you were experiencing something and you felt that this could be done in a better way or this was not designed well, even if you have not had any experience in product, the moment you know that you feel that or you have that inkling, then you would probably do well in product. Right. If you don't have that then it's a long road and it takes a lot of time to maybe inculcate this from scratch.
2: Have you had any outstanding experience during an interview where the candidate uh, far uh, exceeded your uh, expectations?
1: Yeah, actually. So, I mean, very recently uh, as well, we were interviewing someone from Glance. Um, Although he he made the offer and he didn't join, that's a different story. But uh, he started off as a product analyst uh, so firstly, he was an shorts doing some sort of partnerships work. Um, and then he, uh, went to glance, glance, he started as a product analyst. Right. And he basically built out their, uh, content serving platform and he did so many things and he was within one and a half to two years. Uh, I would say that he has a, f- a superb understanding of, you know, sort of what the business is, how his charter fits into that whole business, uh, where he needs to improve, what does a product manager needs to do? What does an SPM actually need to do? Because he was on that cusp, right? Like we were hiring uh, for an SPM kind of a role, right? And uh, he was sort of a borderline candidate, but he was um, like very, very, uh, very, very good. Right. So I I was like, I felt a little envious, you know, that I (laughs) didn't have that kind of maturity probably two years into, into my product stint. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, getting to know someone who understands both the depths of the charter that they were handling and what kind of problems he was facing, but also being able to zoom out and say that, you know, like this is the skill that I'm lacking for the, the to, for my growth in terms of an SPM. Right. And I mean, having both that side of things in the same interview with one person was pretty good. Uh, the only thing I would say that um, like everything else was good is communication. Could have been better. He tends to ramble a lot. I also have the tendency, but I am a, which is a learnable skill. But, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, it was yeah probably one of the best ex- interview experiences I've had recently. So yeah,
0: I think there is no uh, sorry, I think there is no end to uh, improving, end to improvement in communication. Right? I always keep getting that. Yeah, improve your communication. So yeah, the
1: harder part is actually reducing it. So I think the, like, uh, for me, the tendency uh, in general, you'll notice this during this interview or this discussion also is that, uh, when you don't have clarity of thought, right, you'll tend to ramble a lot, right? When you have clarity of thought, it, it boils down to you saying far fewer things, but more important things, and which is a tougher skill to master and which is why I have uh, most people who have asked me communication, how should we improve communication? I ask them, improve your writing. <laughs> like,
0: focus I think articulation on, uh, is important.
1: Ha, I think that uh, writing is an uh, extremely underappreciated skill in, in product. Most people don't want to write, but I think that uh, like writing gives you clarity of thought. If you start getting better at writing, you will notice that that rubs on in your communication also in general.
2: So Manish, how can a no wise uh, person stand out in an interview? He doesn't have any prior product uh, management experience
1: yeah it's actually a tough one right because uh i i think that uh, i have struggled with this recently we were hiring uh, for somebody who's come from a, a very strong consulting background mba graduate right and has all the pedigree uh, but the problem is that uh, you were trying to hire for products right and um we try to find proxies for problem solving skills but obviously somebody coming from that pedigree consulting background that is a given so you, you'll find that but i think the the best part is uh probably the right reasons why you're getting into product uh, in terms of why you want to be in product and not having some, uh, you know, sort of general answers. Like I want to be the CEO. This is a generalist role. This is like sort of, I have listened to all of those uh, uh, range of answers. I've asked a lot of people that, why do you want to get into product? And most of those answers are pretty rosy and shiny, right. And uh, people don't realize that product is extremely. Unsexy. 60 to 70% of what the product people do is not as glorified as what people think. It could it be actually bringing the donuts, right? <laughs> At some levels, it boils on to that. And I think that um, having that understanding that what you're getting into product, uh, the reason why you're getting into product is that you want to solve customer pain points right. And really sort of showing that uh, this is something that they have experienced in the past. And uh, this is how they would have improved it. And they want to get a formal chance of doing this well, rather than this being, a, I think that whenever you have an answer, that's sort of around these aspects that you're getting into the right reasons for uh, that. I found that uh, usually people will stand out where they have a natural sort of tendency towards understanding how things should be designed well, or at least how, pro- what problems people are facing when using a product. And that is alert. It's a skill that even if you have not studied product management, it's there. Like at least you can, you know that, uh, this is not designed
0: well. So, yeah. Okay. So Manish so, that sort of gets them uh, through the interviews, right. But any tips for people, uh, to get that first shot at the interview, uh, maybe when you're shortlisting, right. So, uh, ha-ha. something that you think might stand out and you'll say, okay, I want to interview this person. And
1: yeah, it's actually uh, pretty tough. So, uh, one of the recent trends that I've started noticing uh, with people is that people have joined a lot of um, like PM schools now. There are uh, quite a decent amount of courses that are available. So, uh, three months, two months, where people uh, get at least an entry level understanding of what uh, product management is. And uh, you can see from the quality of their assignments. I mean, that's a signal that we've looked at, right? In terms of whatever case studies or assignments they were given. Uh, actually not the assignment output, but what did they learn from it, where they went wrong and the reflection on that, uh, on those things. So I mean, that it's the same way if you look at entry level designers, right? The way they've built it is that they find something or a portfolio, they create a portfolio, they find something and they design it online. It's pretty easy that way for you to showcase yourself in product. It becomes a little difficult, but I think that if you have a way to showcase your skills that are, you know, whether, whether you have, uh, let's say solved a case study or did something or some XYZ problems that you can showcase before even an interview, it shows your depth of understanding and inclination to get better at, at this craft. Right. So if somebody spends time, like, for example, why shouldn't product guys have their own portfolios? I mean, it should be there, right? Like whatever problems you've worked on. So those are things that are, um, I would suggest I actually, that made a difference in a hiring decision for us in the last goal. Like there were two candidates we were looking at, and one of them had a better or at least a more proactive portfolio as compared to somebody who was naturally good, but had no other way for us to assess it purely probably was down to that
0: interesting interesting i think yesterday i was talking about this session right so i think uh, it was the session by Anirban Das, who is head of products and and he actually started with his portfolio where he talked about the last time problems in his career what he has worked on and i think that sort of actually helps uh imagine on okay where what is the background and what are the challenges that they have faced and i think uh, rightly said right so if uh, you are actually applying for Uh, a product role maybe you will have instances in your past roles if you come with some experience actually pick them pick those uh, instances up and see how it actually fits in and helps you in product management talk about it i think it's sort of very good thing.
1: yeah the other thing is like people don't practice enough right so like uh, if you look at most sports right there is a, a decent amount of time given to practice whereas in product if you look at it systematically we never have forced pms to practice everything is straightforward match directly right so um that's a skill at entry level if you're taught uh, to PMs, right? Like, look at other industries, look at what products are being built and how I do tear down exercises, understand how they're built, why they're built in a specific way, how do you change the experience? Like, I actually test out the product, right? So, those kind of things are, um, I think, uh, important. Probably we don't have, because we don't have a body which sort of defines this well, it's become some people have naturally understood and do well. Otherwise, uh, most of them are. Kar liya. This is why I want to be a PM and I, because I spent mm-hmm. the other disturbing trend also is that, uh, people have now started seeing that if you spend two years, you should now become an SPM. And I think that's the other mindset problem that I've, I've, started to see a lot in the industry that it's not based on scale or competence it's based on time. Right. So how much time you spend means if you spend two years doing something means that you should progress in your career. So that's yeah, probably another issue. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think that has come from the... Services industry where uh, yep. you, you join as a software engineer after a, one year, two years, you become a senior software engineer and then you keep progressing every uh, year or the other. Yeah, you
1: know, actually, totally. uh, I mean, that, because the, the reason is that at entry level, right, I have seen these questions coming up. So at, at entry level PM recently, uh, when they were interviewing, they asked us, you know, what sort of the career ladder and so on and so forth. And I was explaining that this is how, this is the gradation that we look at. We have a leveling framework internally and this is what it is. But uh, post that, okay, so if I spend one year doing this, I should, I'll become PM or if I do two years spending this, I should become an SPM, right? The the answer or they're trying to just define what is the time frame more than the skill set, which is where the problem sort of starts. And Bangalore doesn't help. Like Bangalore startup industry is <laughs> growing. <laughs> <laughs> Money left, right, and center, right? So it becomes pretty easy. Somebody who's a, a senior PM here can easily join a startup and become like a lead or can start managing people, whether they have management experience or not doesn't matter. So that sort of creates false expectations and false which is why it become very difficult to assess candidates. I've seen that people who are SPMs coming from extremely prestigious uh, company, when you talk to them and in terms of depth, they're pretty. But they're not there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, You can't go by designations. You that that's a fact. Taking an offshoot from this, uh, what do you think are the skills that we are lacking in India?
1: In the product. Yeah. Okay, for me, I mean, this is a question that uh, we used to keep debating a lot, Uh, and I think the number one problem is that uh, in product. Uh, our PMs in India, which includes me also, is that our focus is a lot on being glorified program managers, right? I mean, at some levels, I've, I've found that uh, most PMs um, gravitate towards execution and execution muscle a lot, because that is easy to do. It's easy for us to execute. especially if you have good stakeholder management skills, it becomes really easy to manage, right? And um, hence you will find that most of the PMs who are celebrated are probably very good executioners or people who have done delivered things a lot, right. I think the harder challenges doing building, I mean, what should we build, right. Or spending enough time on uh, product strategy, discovery, product discovery side of things to understand what should be built in the first place and not get bogged on. If you're not building something. So for example, if for a sprint, your developers are sitting idle because you don't have anything to build or you don't know what should be built, is something that is unheard of. Right. In India, if you tell people that we will do this, it's, I mean, just not on, like how can, um, anybody sit idle. But that's a reality, right? In India, I mean, that's the way we've always looked at, it because it's easy to measure right? I Examine Execution velocity is pretty easy to measure. Everybody looks at that. But I think that that's the fundamental reason why you don't find innovation or real product innovation that happens in India. Most of it is around basically adapt. We are pretty good at. Adapting solutions in terms of understanding what is has worked in the, in other places and trying to find the right, um, think that would work in our context but right like truly fundamental things require you to both one take risk be okay with failure and second is like uh, try to define uh, or not have some kind of non-linear process at the top which and tries to understand what should be built in the first place or have deep consumer understanding i don't think that people spend a lot of time especially pms in in my limited experience i have not seen pms spend structured effort in getting bet- better at consumer understanding. Most of it is always around, you know, like, uh, okay. We are part of customer research. There's a user research team that does that, but like P- the PMs don't feel it, that this is the most important thing that they can do. And execution is not it. And, um, like uh, the, I think the associates, I'll tell you my story, right. In the last two stints before Vedantu, I was in a place where the engineering and design talent wasn't good. Right. So I had to, at some level step in and do those part of the things it gave me immense joy and feeling and satisfaction. Oh, right. I'm like, I've delivered so many things and it, it gives you the, sort of that false pride that you have done something, whereas actually you're not, be, you're not supposed to do that. Like you are as a product that you're supposed to do something else. And, um, yeah, it just gets lost. Uh, and I think that there is no, not enough people talking about this, um, to ensure that we get better at, uh. The, the upstream side of things, like obviously execution is important, but I think, I mean, building right. The things which you should not be building is the worst form of productivity. Like Peter Drucker had some, some sort of quote around it. Like <laughs> if you build something, which should not have been built in the first place, effectively, that is the worst form of productivity that you can have. Right? So, yeah, I would say that that's probably, um, the number one thing, uh, in terms of the issue at a fundamental level, in terms of what a product person is supposed to do, uh, most companies have that mixed up with some form of stakeholder or program management, right? I, I, at some level I've seen that most PMs are basically that, um, glorified program managers logically from what I've seen and which is, which is what I was also doing for the past two years. Uh, it's not that I've not done product work, some bit of it, probably 20% of my time was actual product work. 80% of it was just stakeholder
0: management and execution. I, I think uh, the primary uh, reason behind that is that initially, when you get into product, right? So you are sort of responsible for execution, and uh, in general, uh, you keep doing it for four five years. I think that's that that's that's a challenge that a lot of people when moving from a, say product manager role to a product leader's role, uh, that transition actually breaks, right? So I think you get so used to it and you start loving it and the comfort zone is like crazy, right? So you don't have to even blink your eye and say, okay, what would have gone wrong in execution? Someone kicks me in the night and says, okay, what went wrong in execution and what could go wrong? I would have three answers on top of my mind. So i think that's something which is uh, a challenge i think as you rightly mentioned right so i think people have to talk about it and people have to first i think self-realization as you have pointed out in a couple of other things right that realization of what needs to be done to move to that role and this is something that they have to work on is very important yeah and i mean i'll tell you better, like one like, example for, my, for me one personal
1: learning right for me, um, strategy was something that I was always, um, enamored by would, would probably get better. Right. So I was talking to one of my juniors who's a, uh, a good VC and is a good, like close friend of mine. Right. So uh, I was just talking to him once and I was telling him yaar, matlab, na, kya kar rahun, ye, wo, all those life fund days and other things. And, uh, I told him I'm good at execution, but, um, and uh, but like strategy or the, those side of things is something that I want to improve. In. And because he comes from the VC world, I was like, how do you analyze companies? How do you look at strategy? So on and so I was trying to understand. And he said that and he told me one thing which is extremely instrumental in changing my perspective. He told me, you do or you focus on operational or tactical execution because it comes easy, it, because it is easy and it comes naturally to you. Right. And uh, strategy is hard, it's yeah. non linear. You don't know what will work and you don't know whether you've made the right choice or not. There is no validation in execution, there is the feedback loop is pretty strong. So, and which is why you are shying away from it. at some level. He just fundamentally blankly told it to my face that <laughs> because it is hard and you are sort of uh, moving away. And I realized that that's actually true. Right. I mean, at some levels um, strategy or thinking on strategic side of things is something we, it's not easy to have. It's a little fuzzy, Uh, but like I spent the last one, one and a half years come only focusing and improving on trying to get better at strategy. And I've noticed that. Like immersing yourself and spending an amount of time actually makes a little bit of difference. But you have to have the patience to go through this grind, right? Like, first build up the execution muscle, but also have that patience and time to go through the grind of getting better at strategy. And um, that I don't think is said enough in in Indian product management circles. I don't think people really give importance to it. People are like glorified ICs who have become managers and then they again tell P- either the junior PMs are also uh, bombarded or otherwise they can't let go and they are always telling the PMs. And I am actually falling prey to doing the same thing. So,
2: Manish, it was quite uh, interesting the way you uh, spoke about the fundamental concept and how we um, leverage towards what we know very well. And then, you know, we focus a lot on execution. I think that was quite enlightening. Um, since we are coming towards the end of the podcast, are there any thoughts that you would uh, like to leave for our uh, newbie PMs?
1: I think that it's important to have the right mindset when you're uh, growing into a PM role, right? You could very easily get swayed uh, by some quick wins and other things. But uh, product management is something where which is a hard thankless kind of a discipline, right? If everything goes well, uh, either the designer or the, the developer team will get a larger credit for things going well. Uh, I'm sure PMs also, but like that's what happens that if things don't go well, it will come back to you. Like the product guy is the one who is uh, sort of takes the fall for it, right? And I think that understanding that and being okay with it, uh and being really okay with it is very very important right and i think that enough uh, though we will don't talk about these things but product as a discipline sometimes gets a little lonely um and it is a little thankless so yeah just be patient be there um a lot of things will fail um, I think that, uh, this is something, uh, probably the second thing I would say is that products are built by iterations, right? 10 things you will try and, uh, out of them, probably only two or three will work. And even those two or three will take multiple iterations to evolve to what should be the right thing. So being okay with not being with failure and things not working out is a skill that we need to master because our education system has not supported us in developing that muscle. Right. Whereas in product is, is fundamental being okay with things, not working out and, uh, even whatever worked out, it may not be right the first time, right. You have to iteratively work towards it. So yeah, just maybe those two things, I would say that be cognizant of it and never forget this.
0: And, and, and I think, uh, from what I know, money's experience, right. So I think it's okay to start. Uh, people who have three, four, five years experience and if you think that this is something which you want to try and I think Manish actually worked at ITC for around six years and understood uh, construction management as you mentioned it and now he's sort of uh, is a strong advocate of product management and he's working on a tough problem so I think it's never too late if you want to actually give it a shot and you are able to resonate with uh, PMing and saying okay, okay this is what you want to do I think it's never too late go and give it a shot I think that's yes. What I <laughs> learned from Manish. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Manish, uh, I think on. Uh- on this bit uh any so i know manish reads a lot uh, and, and i have been pestered with so much of content and where i and i have not been able to do justice to what manish uh, keeps sharing So i think he has a wealth of uh, collection of uh, books podcasts, whatever you what sort of content you want i think uh, uh, manish has it so what are the three books that you would recommend uh, or say podcast that you would recommend to a new PM apart from our podcast, obviously, but, uh, what are the three books that you would say, okay, these are a must and give, will give them a good idea of uh, what product management and, and gives them more uh, perspective.
1: New PMs, people who are just sort of getting in, into aspiring uh,
0: product managers who want to get into product or who have already gotten into product and trying to make a path for themselves.
1: Yeah. I, I think, uh, the top three for me would be, um. Inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, escaping the Build Trap. It's again covers fundamentals pretty decently by Melissa Perry. And the third one would be the mom test. I think that um, like that's an extremely important book. Uh, how to do customer research and actually write I ask the right questions is a, a fundamental skill that people who are starting off in product should read. So yeah, those would be the three books that I, I have a bunch of other things. But if top three, if <laughs> I to select, so these would be so
0: <laughs> I think the list is endless. So I think you'll request uh, listeners to reach out to you directly for more. Uh, so for I have
1: thing. actually collated that as part of a notion doc in terms of, uh, the PM articles and PM books that uh so. For the past what two and a half three years, I've been doing that. So about four hundred and seventy five plus articles that I've maintained. Maybe you can put it somewhere. But I keep sharing some of them to the team here at whenever they require the right amount, right input.
2: Manish, would you like to uh, give your LinkedIn profile so that people can contact you?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, let me. I can pick you guys separately here. Yeah? Sure, or...
2: we will leave it in the show description.
1: Yeah, 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 you can reach out to Manish Dhabriya. So, M A N W S H D H A B R A A.
2: Manish, uh, thank you very much for finding time for uh, coming over here for this show. Uh, it was quite an interesting talk.
1: Yep, same here. Thanks so much for taking time. I'm not sure if I've been helpful <laughs> with my ramblings, but yeah, it's fun to get in touch uh, with both of you. I'm really happy you are doing this. And I think it's important also to talk to practitioners. Otherwise, uh, generally, product post- podcasts are usually talk. I mean, with people who are either extremely, who are done with their discipline a long time back, or uh, who are very sort of stalwarts there, right? Like at least if you have people who other junior PMs can relate to who are still in their career hierarchy, it would be a lot more fun. So yeah, looking forward to more episodes and things that you're doing and best of luck um, in this endeavor that you guys are doing.
0: Yeah. And and one last thing Vilantu is hiring, so you can always yes.
1: Yes. So on that note, Vedantu is hiring. Please um, definitely reach out to us. There's a bunch of interesting stuff uh, that we're doing, multiple openings um, across teams. Uh, Please reach out to me or maybe just um, look at Vedantu on LinkedIn and you'll find a lot of openings there.
2: If you like this podcast, then do share it. And you can reach out to us at productmanagement0100 at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at pm underscore journey.